1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Chris Stemp here. Can't wait to get into our episode this week. I remember when I saw this book, I thought, man, we got to get this person on our show because literally what our guest teaches, writes about, studies, researches is essentially why we all listen to this show. It's dynamic learning. Dynamic learning, as he talks about, is the ability to continually learn, learn new skills, stay relevant, be prepared, adapt—all of the things we need to do to be successful in the 21st century and beyond. This week, we are talking to Brad Stotts. Brad is an associate professor of operations at the University of North Carolina's Kenan Flagler Business School. His work has been featured in HBR, Fast Company, New Yorker, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, all those things. You know how it goes. Brad received his DBA in technology and operations management and MBA from Harvard. He also got his undergrad at the University of Texas at Austin. Aside from the idea of dynamic learning, I like the take that Brad has Right now, what he's doing, aside from teaching, is he integrates work in operations management and human behavior to understand how and under what conditions individuals, teams, and organizations perform their best. So he's out there in the field. He's looking at individuals in the real world and in companies. And so there's a couple of questions I ask him that are personal to me about how do we create better teams? How do we remain relevant at work? How do we learn new things without looking stupid or that we don't know things at work? A lot of great topics discussed here. Well, that's it. That's all I got for tonight. I've got two sick kids. I'm probably getting no sleep as is. So I want to get this out there to you. Thanks so much for listening. We're at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Tell a friend we could use it. Here is Brad Stotz as we talk about his brand new book, Never Stop Learning, Stay Relevant, reinvent yourself, and thrive. Enjoy. Your book is actually essentially the, the mantra of this podcast. I mean, it's called Never Stop <laughs> Learning, which, listen, we've been doing this for eight years. We're 300 plus episodes in on every, almost every topic imaginable. I have to imagine if whoever's listening, they're going, Yeah, never stop learning. That's why I listen, Chris.
2: Yeah, your 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 breadth, as I was looking at the shows, uh, we were talking about it, is
1: is very impressive. Yeah, and you know the thing that jumps out to me is this theme or this idea of curiosity. I mean, how much about learning and lifelong learning do you find is inherent curiosity, and how much of it is cultivated? where people realize they just need to step up their knowledge base.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's kind of one of those classic either-or questions where the answer is yes, Um, (laughs) that it's a, you know, it's, it's a both. I mean, I certainly... Yeah, you know, we, we see differences across people um, in curiosity and, and kind of in how just they you know go out looking for things. Uh, but I think one of the things to recognize is within the same person, you will see some dramatic differences over time. Right, there may be stretches in life that you have young kids and work's a mess and kind of your head is just down and you're surviving. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, and that uh, you come out and you get some breaks and and you see the bigger opportunities. Um, or you know, as you were saying with the second piece, that Sometimes it's forced upon you, right? Uh, you know, job uh, goes away or kind of changes radically. And you realize that, hey, if I'm going to succeed here, I've, I've got to pivot with it. Um, and so you know, I think that's what's so fascinating to me about curiosity um, is that, yeah, there, there's some trade aspects to it of kind of who we are, but there's a whole lot of state and there are things we can do to, to encourage it um, for ourselves.
1: You know, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because as soon as I asked the question kind of jumped out to me that although I always enjoyed learning to some extent, I was never focused on it. Like if, I, if somebody would have said to my 18-year-old self, hey, between 25 and 35, you're going to spend most of your life, aside from work and family and all that, your free time, just trying to learn new things for the sake of learning new things, I would have thought you were crazy. What is it that sparks that learner? in people. I, I mean, I was not curious about all these things until really after college. I mean, I don't, I don't remember learning anything, you know? Yeah.
2: No, I mean, I think there there are a handful of things that can trigger it and there's no single one. Um, I mean, part of it um, is, is the challenge, right? That uh, what's interesting, you know, is kind of put somebody in kind of that boring environment and they can play along with it. They can even, you know, thrive to the outside world. Um, but you know they they them Themselves are getting bored with it, and so they're not necessarily pushing beyond the boundaries. Sometimes we need that little kind of spark to ignite for us to see kind of the bigger opportunity. Um, I think kind of towards that, the second thing I'd highlight is, you know, that there is an element of, of finding things we want to be curious about. Uh, my guess is for a bunch of listeners, you know, your first part kind of resonated, yes, I was in school and it was fine, but I was kind of bored. But then once I moved into, you know, photography or Chinese or, you know, any number of things, um, that that was when suddenly, you know, not only did I want to know and learn that individual topic, but I wanted to learn a whole lot more than that. Um, And so, you know, that element of, you know, we we don't necessarily fall into our passion right away, uh, but rather we have to kind of work hard uh, to see uh, what we like and and where uh, we might want to spend some
1: time. Have you ever looked into or read research on, because I know your book and we'll talk about it is, is really chock full of research, but on why humans are primed to want to learn about new things if they are to, to just gather information for the sake of gathering information. it, It seems like it could be a waste. I don't necessarily know if there's a lot of evolutionary benefit to that.
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, and so, um, that That bugged folks um, in psychology for quite a while because there are lots of evolutionary reasons why you know we might focus, why we have you know a, f- a flight or fight response um, as we think about, you know there's some creature. Um, do I respond to it? I need to kind of limit all of my cues. Be zoomed in on just that or else, you know, my life might might not be around anymore. Um, what's interesting is kind of the extension into positive psychology. And so that line of work um, has uh, taken a look of why do we have positive emotions? What's the evolutionary role of those? Um, and so some really cool work kind of started a number of scholars, Barbara Fredrickson's a, a big one in the center of it, um, looking at this idea of, well, the reason we have positive emotions is they lead us to kind of a broaden and build approach that, you know when and you can pick a bunch of different you know different ones but when we're happy when we're content when we're safe um, that that gives us the space for curiosity right you know there's no need to ask why when you're under attack um, why does it matter? It's you know what do I do to get out of this but why when you're in a comfortable place when you're you know content and happy um, suddenly you know, that uh, broadens us out, helps us build kind of approaches that can have success in the long run.
1: All right. So, you know, I'm really excited to go into even more about that the evolutionary aspect, the brain science behind it, all these things. But I I do want to cover your background a little bit, just in a sense that, hey, writing about learning is another thing that's broad. Right. So what what brought you here? Why? Why even write again such a well-researched book on this topic of, hey, guys, we need to continue to learn.
2: So I guess you'd really say that trying to understand learning is why I went back into academia in the first place. I'd worked in industry as investment banker, as venture capitalist, uh, strategic planning at Dell. Uh, and throughout all of those settings, you know, I'd been struck by individuals, teams, organizations that had what I thought were very similar resources, but quite different performance. And so wanted to understand why. Um, and I realized learning was the story, but but kind of people knew the steps to take. Why didn't they do it? Um, and what, you know, as I dug in, as I spent more time talking to people, looking into the data, I've come to appreciate is that, yes, it requires good processes. And you know, we need to make sure we ask questions. We need to make sure that we're willing to fail and we take risks, but that's not enough. Um, that it's also the behavioral science. Um, and so it's that combination of process and people. If we really want to learn, we have to identify the step we should take, understand why we don't do it um, as obvious as some of them may sound, and then design new approaches you know, to move us forward. And so what I spent the last fifteen years um, trying to do is uh, really a bunch of me-search questions about my own learning journey and things I do wrong, as well as you know other things I found out uh, in practice uh, and addressing them uh, and uh, looking at uh, the work that I've
1: done around that topic as well. Appreciate the background on that. I really want to now just hone right in on you know speaking of focus, your book. Yep. And all the things you research, because as I mentioned, that's what this podcast is about. So let's start kind of from the top on why you believed it was necessary to write a book about learning and what along the way helped with that conclusion and really supported it. Yes, this is something that people need to learn about.
2: I think if we look, if we're going to succeed in, in the environment that we live in now, we have to recognize that it requires continual learning, um, that you know, there are things that have been around for a long time, the need for specialization, the globalization that's taking place, all of the data that's being created, the digitization of the world but the speed is picking up, it's going faster and faster. So there's this risk that, that how we're doing things today, it's gonna to become irrelevant, right? That uh, if we fail to learn, we end up solving yesterday's problems too late uh, and we're not tackling tomorrow's problems you know, before somebody else. Uh, And so take, you know, artificial intelligence. It's, you know, now enabling, you know, companies to, if it's just a matter of pushing a button, they don't need somebody to do that. The silicon can do it. But if instead you're somebody who learns, who can take the insights that comes from that, then you're able to do even more, right? It's complementary. you can accomplish more things. And so kind of that need for learning, I would argue, you know, we live in a world where the only constant is change. We need it more today than ever before. Um, But, you know, what my research and others have shown is that unfortunately, we're bad at learning, that that honestly we're often our own worst enemies. And so instead of doing those things that help us learn, we often do just the opposite.
1: You mentioned this idea of AI and all the things that are going on, the rate of change with nobody is gonna is gonna doubt and and everybody kind of understands, but why wouldn't that lead us to want to specialize instead of just continually increase our learning and our in our breadth of knowledge? And the reason I ask is because I almost feel like it's an uphill battle that we can't win. We can't learn and, and stay relevant as fast as technology is increasing. So part of me is thinking, find the one thing you can dedicate your life to and hope that you're specialized enough that you can remain relevant.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. So, so when we say that we need to learn, it doesn't mean we're flitting from thing to thing. It doesn't mm. mean we become a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Um, it's an appreciation that even if you specialize, what you have to do in that area is going to change over time. And so take you know that example of specialization. Um, you know, We often think about it as an either-or. It is either I become specialized or I do a bunch of different things. Um, and what we see is that for successful learning, you know, we actually need to do both. Um, that we need to, some folks will call this, you know, be a T-shaped learner. Um, so you're right, we do want to pick some things to specialize in. We do need to get into an area um, to make sure that, uh, that we've got, you know, enough depth and knowledge uh, in particular topic. Um, but at the same time, you know, we think about what are the related things that we can do? Um, what are around that? Because the variety of activities we take on, it actually, you know, helps us learn even more um, that if you look at most innovation, it's actually a combination of existing pieces. And so how can we think about that to, to you know, what are the, the different, uh, you know, horizontal piece of that T of the related activities that we can engage in as well?
1: That's a great point. Uh, It's really a great point that learning can be both. And I think something I need to learn. So as ironic as that is. And one of the things that intrigued me most about your work is the things that can cause us to fail to learn or or inhibit our learning. Could you kind of let us in on what your research showed us? about our inability to learn or at least do it effectively?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, this point of challenge is often ourselves. And, you know, if we look at kind of each of the different things we need to do in order to learn successfully, it ends up, you know, being a handful of, of alternative challenges, right? So let's take one um, as an example, failure. Um, that I think you know the listeners recognize that hey if I'm going to learn I have to be willing to fail some I don't have to like it um, but I'm not going to get it right every single time um, and you know yet we really struggle to do that um, and why is that well first um, that we have a fear of failure that you know it's embarrassing it's shameful and so we have this struggle sometimes of well I, I don't want to take the risk because it might go wrong I know I need to um, but you know I'm weighing the costs and the benefits and bad overpowers good. And so that fear of bad, you know, keeps me from the potential good of learning. Um, and so that's the first challenge. The second though, um, is even more kind of insidious, um, that, you know, we often see what we want to believe, um, that instead of seeing what's really there, um, we end up, you know, kind of convincing ourselves that something else is going on. Um, and so, You know, the example of failure, we may have things go wrong, uh, but we don't admit to ourselves that actually went wrong. We say, no, that's what I wanted all along. Or, you know, oh, it would have even been worse if I didn't try. Um, And so that challenge of seeing what we want to believe instead of seeing what's actually there really gets in the way of learning.
1: You know, as you mentioned that last point, it brings me back to a number of episodes we've done in various topics that somehow come back to this idea of, you know, this bias, our brain's natural want to protect us from failure or feeling stupid or whatever it is. And I always get stuck on this idea that, yeah, if our, our brain is driving so much of us and it is telling us, oh, that's what you actually wanted, that w- why we don't stand a chance, right? Like <laughs> even knowing it doesn't matter. I hear so many different times, oh, well, the problem is your brain does this. And I go, great, I know it. It's still going to do it. So have you right. figured out any workarounds to say, okay, here are the things your brain is going to want to do to you. Here is how we work around that.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great point, right? That you know, awareness only takes us so far. It's, it's great that we realize this may happen, <clears throat> but that doesn't keep it from happening the next time, unfortunately. And so then it's a matter of you know, kind of designing better processes. I think this is where you know, my initial view of, hey, learning's the story of processes. It was right, but it's less about that big picture. How do I fail? Um, and more around the little things of, you know, what do I do? I, I should write down what I think is going to happen and why it's going to happen. And so that way afterwards, when I've tried something, I can compare it. Um, and so that is kind of a way to keep myself honest. I can involve other people. Because while it turns out we're fairly bad at evaluating our own failures, we often want to bra- blame the situation instead of admitting our own responsibility. We're really good at evaluating other people's failures. And so kind of who are those individuals I trust to sit down and have a discussion with? Or how as a team can we talk about what just happened, not in an effort to blame things, but to, to really understand it? How do I make sure you know, if I'm in a group that I've made it safe to take risks. Oftentimes, people won't share what they know because, you know, they figured out, hey, the leader's going to yell at everybody uh, if anybody speaks up. Um, And so instead, as a leader, how do I make sure that I've, you know, empowered folks to share, you know, their perspective? Well, an important way to do that is that you're open about failure. You share your own mistakes so that then when they make mistakes, they don't kind of sweep it under the rug. Um, but I think it's that second piece of, you know, the processes to set us up for success um, are those little things that, to your, to, as you were saying, keep us honest.
1: You know, I really want to hone in on this word failure for a minute, partially because it's thrown around a lot, but partially because it took me a while to grapple with it. And I think I'm still going through it. You know, I heard this idea of, oh, people are scared of failure and you can't be and you shouldn't be. And I always said, I'm not scared of failure. I fail all the time. Whatever. Not a big deal. Why is this a thing? Until I realized this, I wasn't afraid to say fail at something I'd never done before and people shouldn't expect me to be good at it. What has held me back and still to this day just is crippling is things that I'm like, just decent enough at. Maybe it's a new job. They hired me, believing I have some skill. Everybody kind of knows that when you first get hired, you actually have less skill than they think. And (laughs) the failure that I beat myself up about is not achieving it the way I'd like or that others who are more senior in the position can. But now I'm starting to think, wait, failing can mean all of those things. It can mean not reaching what you believe your potential should be you know, not coming into a new job and crushing it within the first six months has always been something that just, like (laughs) I said, crippled me. That is a form of failure. What do you think about that?
2: I mean, I think it's a great point that, um, you know, we, you know, most of us set high expectations for ourselves. um, And, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is kind of the impression management challenge that we want people to see us in this light um, of, you know how how amazing we are, um, and so I think I mean there there are a handful of things that we need to think about to respond to that. I mean one um, is, you know, in fairness, not to be so hard on yourself, um, that, uh, recognizing just because you're not good at everything doesn't mean that you're not good at some things. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's some neat research showing the value of calling out what you are good at. Um, and that, you know, even if you keep it as simple and that day that you struggled, uh, writing down a few things at the end of, of what you did well, uh, that over time uh, that, uh, that that actually will help you learn, will help you be happier um, in addition. Uh, I think the, the other you know, challenge um, is that we look at the expert and we think, oh, I should be where that person is now. Um, And we forget that they had to struggle through it also. Um, What's interesting is there's there's some cool research on kind of the curse of knowledge, um, that it turns out that when we get really experienced, we tend to forget how hard it was Um, So we're not always as sympathetic as we should be uh, for kind of the newbies um, or even the, you know, uh, kind of middlebies that uh, that you might have been where you had some experience, but you weren't quite all the way up there yet. Um, And so that takes us back to. You know, setting up conditions for success as a leader, as an expert, um, is sharing your own struggles uh, of helping people see that you know you don't get it right every time either. Um, And that kind of openness um, makes it makes it okay that uh, that it turns out you know yeah you may have struggled on certain things that first day, but odds are you did you did some other things really well that people saw too. Um, And so you know instead of letting knowledge be a curse, let it be a little little bit freeing um, to see that, yeah, everybody's going to struggle with this.
1: You know, as, as you talk about that, and I know you do a lot of consulting and work with in the corporate world, one of the things that I feel like could be hard to translate is, look, when you're young, when you're 21, 22, 24, whatever, I think it's kind of understood that, hey, this person's going to need a lot of training. They're going to need to be to be groomed and built. And we get that. But then you hit a level. And I'm just going to arbitrarily say it's you know late 20s where people pretty much assume, all right, you're done with that. Like we, we're not hiring a 30 year old to train you. But the problem is there's always things we don't know. There's always things we have to get better at. And even if people know from a logical level, okay, you know, this is a new role for you. You just got promoted, or yep. this is a new uh, a vertical that you're in or a new product line. They They know you can't be an expert, but the second they see you, at least in my opinion, not perform at the level they expected, I feel like it's human nature to at least start to think internally, wow, they're not that competent, right? And then it's this cycle of, well, I want to learn, but I can't show that I don't know it. So I have to do things I'm only comfortable with, which prevents growth. And it just keeps going. I know that's something you've dealt with. Tell us how to solve that, how you (laughs) see it happen and train others to identify it.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's a great point, and and I think you know some amount of it comes in clarity and expectations, right? Um, so, kind of listening to you talk about it, you said, hey, they know you haven't done this, uh, but then it goes wrong, and they expect you to have done it. Um, and so, you know, what I've seen successful leaders do, stepping in to, you know, they ran one part of uh, the organization well, they come in somewhere else, um, is being honest and upfront. Hey, I've I've never worked in this space before. Um, I know you all know it a lot better than me. And so I'm going to need your help here. Um, and that's kind of a managing down strategy uh, of, you know, it, it's really empowering for the team that, that folks can see, you know, you're reaching out to them for help. When we ask for help, um, it turns out people tend to think more highly of us. Why? Because we're we're presenting ourselves in a vulnerable way, and so they value that. Um, but importantly, we're we're turning to them. Uh, and you know, if we think about it as as humans, you know, uh, oftentimes who do we consider the expert on a problem? ourselves. And so somebody else asking us questions means, you know, they're turning to the expert that we know best. Um, I think in managing up, it's also around that relationship of being clear about, you know, what we don't know, right, that, you know, they ask a question, um, and that we're transparent, not that we try to fake our way through, well, how does this work in the chemical industry, but, you know, hey, I haven't worked in the chemical industry, I haven't seen cracking, you know, it's helped me help me understand it. Now, that doesn't absolve us of the, sp- of the responsibility, you know, to work hard um, in trying to pick things up. Uh, as we go along. But I think that we we often make the problem worse, because since we try to pretend like we know everything, then of course, people then assume that we do. Um, and that disconnect creates a lot of the problem.
1: Let's pivot a little bit from the professional environment to just the fact that although we spend much of our time at work, most people are searching for meaning, purpose, happiness, safety. How does yep. learning and the ability to learn and continually learn help us meet what I believe to be those primarily human goals?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a great point and a great question. I mean, I think part of what learning does is it allows us to really hone those strengths that we have. Um, I talk some uh, in the book about, you know, it's important in learning that we don't fixate on irrelevant weaknesses, that we often think of the learning story as one of, oh, let's go find what I'm not good at and, and you know, and address it. Um, and, you know, it turns out that when we play to our strengths, um, as you know, I'm sure a number of your listeners have, have explored before, um, that uh, we end up, you know, setting ourselves up for success and our organizations up for success, that our strengths are motivating, um, that our strengths give us purpose, that those things that we do well at, um, that uh, kind of we enjoy, um, engage us with our organizations when we get to use them. Um, And so, you know, that we, we often can learn more um, and kind of have this win-win of, of we pick up more, we engage more, organization achieves more um, as we put it together. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we ignore all weaknesses. Those that support the strengths, like, sure, we're going to need to put some attention there. We're going to need to address them. Uh, but that that actually, you know, kind of gives us a chance to uh, to move forward. I think the other thing is there's been some really cool research that came out lately um, looking at kind of passion uh, and passions and, you know, folks, uh, how, do, how do we view it. Do we view the story of passions as, you know, I have one, I can label it exactly what it is. Um, and move forward, or do I discover it as I learn, as I do things? Um, and what the research showed us is that it's actually kind of problematic to think, you know, hey, I've got a passion out there, um, and it's just a matter of, you know, kind of do a little bit of a cursory glance, and I'll pick it up because we might not actually work hard enough to realize that we like things. And so, learning, you know, sets up a really important role there. That as we dig into things, as we really try them, um, as we work through sometimes that hard part, um, then we can find, you know those human elements that you're talking about that we so desperately want and so desperately need.
1: Yeah, the passion aspect is, is, man, that's a whole nother topic in and of itself. So in your book, Never Stop Learning, and you know we'll talk about it in the intro and afterwards, but it really is great. Um, you talk about this framework to dynamic learning, okay. and there's various steps in it. And so I'll just read through the steps because I want to in the limited time we have focus on one. So you have valuing failure, focusing on process, not outcome, and on questions, not answers, making time for reflection, learning to be true to yourself by playing to your strengths, pairing specialization with variety, and treating others as learning partners. So you can you can dive in more to that if you'd like. But the thing I really wanted to focus on is this idea of learning to be true to yourself by playing to your strengths. Because you just yep. talked about it. It's something we get emails about all the time, right? It's this Okay, I get it, right? I need to play to my strengths. If If I'm good at it, then I'll want to do it more. And if I want to do it more, I'll be happier and blah, 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 blah blah. How did you figure out how to be true to yourself, how to find your strengths, and then play to them? Yeah,
2: it's a great question. because um, I think that you know, we really often struggle with with finding our strengths, right? That you know we maybe miss important ones or we misdiagnose ourselves. Um, and so, I mean, I think you know, we know experiences is, uh, is certainly one way to do it as we try different things as we move around. Um, but what we found in our research is that others are incredibly powerful way for us to learn about our strengths, um, that, you know, it turns out um, that while we may, you know, kind of have a hard time figuring out, you know, what is it that I truly excel at, um, that the people who know us best can reflect it back to us. Um, So there's an exercise that came out of the University of Michigan um, called the Reflected Best Self-Exercise. And in this, you reach out to 10 to 15 people who know you well, and you ask them to tell right up two or three stories when they've seen you at your best. What's so cool uh, about that um, is some of what they share um, are things that you perhaps have known about all along. Um, but often it comes out, you know, other pieces that you didn't even realize, you didn't even think were that important, um, but, you know, have stuck with them. And in hearing this narrative from other people, you're able to, you know, start to define some of those strengths that you have. And what we see when we look at that is, you know, exactly what you're talking about, that those strengths, they are, in fact, you know, intrinsically motivating, uh, that you work harder afterwards. They, you know, we did some experiments where we show folks who, who got that strength intervention, uh, where more likely to be more creative afterwards than those that did not that strings actually improved health um, that uh, we collected saliva samples and looked at uh, particularly anybody anybody uh, um, sig a uh, that uh, kind of uh, helps the body defend against cold and other infections uh, and we saw those who had the strings intervention had their sig a go up um, and so you know I think that instead of you know thinking just I have to find it myself Think about those around you, asking them when they've seen you at your best, um, and starting to use that to build up what your strengths might be. Wow,
1: that's that's an interesting one. I wonder what the people that know me would say about that. (laughs) Last question about one minute, but another thing we hear on this idea of strengths, and I've decided just to focus on one for the listeners. If this is something that is resonating, imagine you know going much more in depth on all six of the aspects of this framework with research. So it's really. Uh, Great. And again, that book is never stop learning. So um, the last thing I want to say is what about have you ever looked at, heard research, found research, talk to people about they know their strengths, but they don't want to utilize them. So they they, they say, yeah, I'm good at this, but I I don't want to make that my job or my passion or my career.
2: You know, that is, that is a great, uh, it's a great question. It's one that, um, so I do a lot of this research with Dan Cable, uh, Francesca Gino, and Julia Lee, uh, and that the four of us have been talking about, um, because we haven't seen research on this topic. What if, what Mm. if you don't like your strengths, you know, which it may be just that it's out there and we haven't seen the work. Um, You know, I, I think that, you know, kind of my kind of gut response to that um, would be that. You know, very few of us have only one strength, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, there there's probably a couple of ways to look at it. I mean, can we, you know, take? take it and pivot it in a new direction, um, that, you know, our, our strengths tend to be fairly broad. So, um, you know, that, uh, you, you love and have strengths that you're kind of recipe creation, but you hate restaurants. Um, you know, how could you turn it into a personal chef business or, you know, some sort of a twist on things. Right. Um, the other, you know, is there may be strengths we choose to, to lay aside, um, because at least for this stage of life that we're in right now, that's not where we want to go. Um, and I think that's okay. We have to recognize that just because we're good at something, we don't need to, to let people paint us into a box um, and uh, feel like we're stuck there forever.
1: That's fantastic. Well, I'll look more for that research coming from you. Uh, <laughs> Brad, I really appreciate being on the show. Again, the book is Never Stop Learning, Stay Relevant, Reinvent Yourself, and Thrive. Uh, where else would you like our listeners to go to learn about you or find you uh, anywhere you want to plug?
2: <laughs> thanks. Uh, well, certainly on Twitter, please, at uh, br um, uh, Stotts S-T-A-A-T-S. Uh, look me up. Uh, and then also online at uh, Bradley, uh, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y Stots, uh, dot uh, dot com. Uh, and check me out on the web.
1: All right. Well, again, thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Yeah, no worries. Um, thanks for the time. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. All right. Okay. Have hey, a
0: have a good day. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brad Stotts. Brad's book, Never Stop Learning, Stay Relevant, Reinvent Yourself, and Thrive, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And as a reminder, if you decide to pick up Brad's book on Amazon, please do so through the Smart People Podcast Amazon link, located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash amazon. That link, of course, is our affiliate link, which greatly helps support the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, you can always head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review over there. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you're looking to sign up for the newsletter, you can head over to www.smartpeoplepodcast.com. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got some awesome interviews coming up and we will see you all next episode.